You know what it is. That's right. It's time to talk money with your money nerd and financial coach. Now, tighten those purse strings and open those ears. It's the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. Everyone, I'm super excited because I have Che Ramos on the line. Now, Che is a, he has an interesting um, career in business. And so I wanted to bring him on because when I made the post about a whiskey tasting that I did that was put on by him, I got so much engagement with people wanting to know how to do one and so on and so forth. So I was like, let me see if you can just come on the podcast. So, hey, Che, how are you today? I'm fantastic. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. I'm excited to talk to you because I've never talked about this on the podcast, first of all. (laughs) And second of all, just based on our conversation when I was in person, I think it's wildly interesting. And I learned so much just joining your session. So I was like, let's just talk about it. Um, so let's just hop right in. First and foremost, um, you put on curated whiskey tastings. Now, I just want to give the audience a baseline of what that even is, if they're not familiar. Sure. So whiskey production is like any production of alcohol just about anywhere. Uh, it is fermentation and fermentation happens when we run out of stuff to do with grains and so we ferment it and distill it either for medicinal properties for us to have a party right so when our initial settlers arrived in the u.s they showed up in areas that had a huge surplus of rye and so what they started making was rye whiskey in fact george washington was one of the first and largest rye whiskey producers on record and he had his very own distillery in mount vernon Uh, But as our pioneers started to push a little bit out west and started to make some very unfriendly relationships with the natives, they found themselves surrounded by corn. And so the birth of this new corn whiskey was born, which was would eventually turn into bourbon. So bourbon, by law, is a whiskey that is fermented first from a mixture of grains. The largest percentage of grains in there has to be corn at 51 percent that forms a substance kind of like a beer. They call it a distiller's beer. You send that through a couple rounds of distillation. And after a couple years, you end up with straight bourbon whiskey. But it's always been about people fermenting, distilling, and playing with the stuff that they had in their backyard. Wow. Interesting. And it's so cool Like just to think that all of these different spirits kind of evolved from the same basis, you know, it's just people doing different things to them. Uh, So I think that's really interesting. So let's get back to your story though, because you started off with the whiskey tastings and then it kind of transformed into restaurant consulting. So as someone that goes into restaurants and kind of, you know, tells them what they could or should be doing as it relates to their beverages. Like, how does that work? How would one get started with that? Uh, It started with a 20-year career working in restaurants. Uh, I've done just about everything that you can do from washing dishes to bartending to managing. Uh, Of course, most of that time was spent both bartending and managing, but after 20 years, you kind of you get to know the ins and the outs of how the business works, what makes a successful relation. I mean, what makes a successful restaurant, and most importantly, 
the things you need to avoid if you want to have a successful restaurant. So it was a natural transition. Somebody reached out to me, heard that, uh, you know, I was doing what I was doing, knew a little bit about my resume and asked if I might be interested. And here we are. That is awesome. That is awesome. And see, that just goes to show like you can use the knowledge of whatever career you're in right now to turn back around and start consulting in it and create your own business. Um, So that is awesome. I love that story and that it translate well. It translates well um, with the restaurant industry. Now, when you go in and you consult these different businesses, what types of things are you helping them with? Uh, all beverage related things really. So first and first and foremost, we're looking at beverage lists, right? Do people need cocktail recipes? Do you need to update your wine list? Do you need to update your beer list? Do you need to update your liquor list or what we call in the industry, your back bar? Because so many of those things are what guests look at before they even set foot into your establishment. So if you don't care about what you're putting out there to the world, then it's going to make you suffer. Also making sure that your beverage program matches what you're doing with your food program is a huge deal because, Mm. you know, you don't want to have a barbecue place, for example, that's out here serving $18 glasses of wine. Those two things rarely go together. Not that people who like barbecue don't like $18 glasses of wine, right? It's, It's just rare that you go out for both of those things to dinner at the same place at the same time. Ah, yeah, that's very true. Because if I'm trying to kick back with some barbecue, (laughs) I am not looking for, like you said, the $18 cups or bottles of wine. I'm looking for a beer or I'm looking for maybe a shot of something, you know? Um, So I definitely get that. And when we were talking, what came to mind was Bar Rescue because I used to watch that show quite a bit. So does that type of stuff happen in real life? Like, is that how it is out here in these streets <laughs> uh I, I mean yes honestly uh it, it's kind of <laughs> like when when you read the news and you hear crazy stuff happening with people like y- y- you take it with a grain of salt but like yes most of these crazy stories do have some basis in truth which is part of why so many restaurants and bars just don't make it uh because mm-hmm. so many people open bars and restaurants and they think hey I eat at restaurants. I know how to run a restaurant. (laughs) And then they open up a restaurant and get a rude awakening. And most of those people are not saved by some large bombastic gentleman who wants to come and yell at them on TV for money. (laughs) Right. That part. And I think if I remember correctly, the statistic was like most restaurants don't make it past what, like year three, I think it was. But I could be wrong. If it's even that no, no, I won't. I, I Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if the term was shorter than that. Yeah. So you definitely need people like Che coming on um, and, you know, letting you know what's going on, where you can improve, because, you know, just having someone with that level of experience, I mean, 20 years, that's a whole career doing you know, in the restaurant business. And so he knows what he's talking about. And so if you're starting up or, you know, maybe you feel like you're starting to flail a little bit, having an expert come in and just point out some things that you may not be seeing, because I can speak from experience because 
I am a soul believer, uh, a full believer in mentors. <laughs> um, I can speak from experience when you're so into the grind, just the daily grind, it's hard to see, you know, an outsider's perspective, outsider looking in and where they can see that you can improve. So I love that you do that. And honestly, you know, and this is what I told you as well, because my podcast is mainly for the black and brown community. I don't see many of us doing this type of stuff. No, honestly. Uh, and that ties into how I started my business. Um, after 20 years working in the industry, you move your way up the ladder. And the more you move up the ladder, and this is true as a guest as well, right? Like you go into the restaurants that are more highly rated, so to speak, and both the clientele and the staff gets progressively less and less dark as the star level mm. rises on those restaurants. Uh, and it's something that's unfortunate, right? The best restaurants mm. out there tend to have a significantly lower percentage of black and brown people working there. And when we do work there, it is rare that you find us in any sort of position of power, right? So mm. why do you not see many black and brown bartenders on high level restaurants, it's because when we go apply for jobs there, they want to make us buzzers or dishwashers or food runners and not offer us the genuine opportunity to move up to the positions in which we're really going to make money and be able to showcase ourselves. Yes, yes. And, you know, this takes me back to when I was in high school because I used to want to be a chef. Like that was my dream and goal my entire life um, up until, you know, I graduated. But um, I went to be a chef and I went to this job interview at a restaurant. I had applied to work in the kitchen to cook. And when I got there, he kind of did the bait and switch on me. <laughs> he was like, well, we have openings for a waitress. And I'm like, but that's not what I'm here for. And he wanted me to say, yeah, okay, I'll take it thinking I was desperate. But I was like, no, it's okay. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> and then I excused myself. But to your point, it's like, why wasn't I able to be in the kitchen? Like, why did I have to be a waitress if that's not what I applied for? So, you know, it just reminded me of that story. And, you know, in the restaurant industry, I would love to see more of us doing these types of things uh, because it representation definitely matters. A thousand percent, a thousand percent. And to be honest, I think it goes even a little bit further than the restaurant industry because you have to think about the economics of access to food and how that plays out in the black and brown community, right? So, so many of us would never dream of working in higher end restaurants because we don't have access to the food that they serve in these higher end restaurants. Mm. And for many people, regardless of race, color, creed, whatever, you know, new things can be scary, right? So food that you've never heard of, if you grow up in an area where, you know, everybody in your family cooks everything well done, the idea of eating <laughs> rare steak is understandably foreign and potentially a little bit scary to us, right? And there are wonderful researchers who have written entire theses on the issues of lack of access to food in our community. But so much of that plays into, I believe, why many of us 
don't even think about getting into food service industries because we don't we don't understand it. And it's like you said at the beginning, you know, it can all start with an idea, but you don't know what you don't know. And having access to it is is everything. Exactly. Exactly. So with all of that, I kind of want to switch gears a little bit because while I was at the tasting that you had put on, uh, I tasted one of your cocktail syrups and it was amazing. (laughs) And so I just (laughs) wanted to talk about that. Like what made you step into uh, creating the cocktail syrups versus just, you know, promoting what's already out there? Uh, So much of what I do is about representation and highlighting the black and brown folks within the food and beverage industry who were already doing dynamite things. Uh, There's very little of our culture that can be found in the world of cocktail making. And so I just wanted to bring more of that myself. And so I started to or I'm sorry, I conceived of the idea of making cocktail syrups as an idea of bringing flavors that we know in our community and are very familiar with, but introducing them to a broader spectrum of people and kind of getting people accustomed to the idea that like, yeah, we can use these Caribbean and Hispanic and African flavors to make dynamite cocktails that rival the ones that are already out there at high-end bars. So the first one I made was a spiced orange syrup, which is fantastic. Uses fresh squeezed orange juice, mixture of some spices, fresh cane sugar. It's dope. Love it with an old-fashioned or just a mimosa. But the second one I came up with is my real, real favorite because it's based on my grandmother's recipe, who was a four foot ten dynamo of an Antiguan woman. So all over the West Indies, they make a drink called Sorrow. And I turned it into cocktail syrup form. So it's a dried hibiscus flour, some fresh ginger, some spices, and some sugar and citrus, all boiled down and then cold steep for four days into a cocktail syrup that is, I think is fantastic. And I agree. Um, (laughs) As someone that (laughs) Uh, has Jamaican roots. I was like, when I saw Sora, I said, oh, I want to try this one. And it did not disappoint. Um, And honestly, you know, as we were going through the tastings, because, you know, I was kind of telling you my opinion of most of them. uh, I was new to Mm -hmm. whiskey and I was like, oh, like this is some strong stuff. (laughs) Uh, But when I added the syrup, I said, oh, Chuck. No. <laughs> um, so, so it was very, very good. And I highly recommend. So if people were interested in finding out more about you wanting to book you for a tasting or finding out more about your consulting or your syrups, uh, where could people find you? Everywhere. So on social media, I'm the, the black bourbon guy on all platforms, Instagram, Facebook, uh, my email address, always welcome to receive emails, is chechechee at blackbourbonguide.com. Uh, I like to make myself accessible because, you know, if you're working for yourself, you better be. 
Amen and amen. And if you all did not get that, I'll make sure to have all of those links in the show notes for you. So that way you can hit him up. Um, Like he said, he's accessible. When I asked him to be on the podcast, he said, sure. When I followed up with my email, he responded right away. (laughs) So um, I definitely have experience communicating with him and he's very responsive. And I highly recommend his services. Like I said, I was not a whiskey person, but after his session, I'm like, oh, like I could try this with this. And I was even on uh, social media acting like I was an expert afterwards. You, you didn't know that part. But yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. That is amazing. Thank you so much for the invite and your time. It was a pleasure to be here with you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening, joining, and being a part of the Money Talk with Tiff podcast this week. You can check Tiff out every Thursday for a new Money Talk podcast. But if you just can't wait until next week, you can listen to previous podcast episodes at moneytalkwitht.com or follow Tiff on all social media platforms at Money Talk with T. Until next time, spend wise by spending less than you make. A word to the money wise is always sufficient. <laughs>